Damas y caballeros, niños y niñas, bienvenidos al segundo episodio del podcast The Hot Esquina. Yo soy Enrique, aquí tengo a John conmigo. Somos dos cubanos que tenemos una gran pasión para los Yankees y para béisbol. Today, we're going to talk about the insane amount of outfield prospects in the system, including birthday boy Jason Dominguez and how they might impact things in the Bronx. The minor league players we're most looking forward to watching in 2022. And we'll talk about the current state of the lockout. And we'll be right back. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Ahí va. Por el desfile. Olvídala. Esa bola cae en la calle. Esa se va. Se va. Se fue. Welcome back. So let's get right into it and talk about the logjam in the outfield and what the Yankees should do in the short term and long term. John, you want to start us off? Sure. Um, I don't know if uh, any of the listeners have read the um, the series that I've been writing with Pinstripe Podcast uh, Prospects um, in regards to the logjam in the outfields. Um, just in Tampa, the Tampa Tarpons, the team that I that I primarily cover, they ended the season with seven outfielders. Um, and you figure there's only three positions in the outfield you, 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 if they make it to the Bronx. So between Tampa, Hudson Valley, there is 12. Uh, Somerset has another five. F, the Florida Complex League, the FCL has another five. And the Dominican Summer League has another five. You got a lot of guys. You got a lot of depth in that outfield. So you figure that's going to be trade bait. You don't know who's going to get traded because there's that, you know, oh, everybody's, oh, I want Olsen or whatever the case. Um, and then you got guys like uh, Jason Dominguez, who turns 19 today. You know, we wish him the, the happiest of birthdays. Um, cumpleaños, Jason. We got um, Everson Pereira, who is uh on the 40 man who we won't, we won't even know if we get, if he gets to play, you know, something we get the lockout fixed. Um, you got Brandon Lockridge who a lot of Yankee fans may have heard of uh, up in Somerset. He should start in Scranton. So there's a lot of good talent in the, the minors in regards to the outfield, but what happens with all the other guys? You know, that's, that's the thing that we need to think of is you got really good guys like Ryder Green, Aldeni Sanchez, Um, Madison Santos, Elijah Dunham, Jake Sanford. That's a whole nother outfield by itself. Elijah Dunham looks really imposing, should we say. Like he's the one guy that I see in the minor league system that body-wise comes close to Jason Dominguez just in stature. Like, you know, there's a reason they call him the big cheese down there. You know what I'm saying? Like the dude yeah. is, the dude's swole. He's Yeah. pretty big like i'm excited about him and he looks like he's made some serious muscle gains in the offseason too and the, the little bit of video that i've seen um and he blew everybody away this past season because he was a, a udfa out of indiana if i remember correctly so you know what what are the yankees going to do that's that's the big question i i mean it's it's it is the big question and and we got a hopefully you know see what what they come up with you know both in the minors and majors 
I know we we spoke in the last podcast about the question mark in center field because you don't know how Hicks is going to come back and the inevitability that he's going to get hurt. So one of these guys could very well get a call up. It could be um, once again, it, it could be um, uh, Estevan Florial's chance to come up again. Um, you could very well see an uh, Pereira come up as well. You know, as much as, as you say, he might be trade bait, but you never know. Maybe the Yankees give him a whirl. Um, you know, a lot of these guys have a real chance this year, you know, to make a shot at that center field spot. Because as you and me both know, John, especially ever since the Miami series, left field and right field are pretty much locked up now that they're playing Stanton in the outfield again. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank goodness that he's starting to figure his thing out. But then what happens when he gets into a slump? Because it's almost inevitable that Gary gets into a slump and he gets into a slump. You know, it's like every year like clockwork. I mean, with Gary, it's one thing. But with Stanton, you just got to write it out even when he's in his slumps because you know how valuable he is when he turns it on. So I'm not too worried about him slumping and especially not worried enough that you know what are you going to do when he's in a slump like do you take him out no you you ride with him as long as you have to because that's your big stud other than other than judge so uh, to me as I said I think those corner outfield spots are pretty much locked up unless for some reason I hope not John Boone decides to uh, start DHing Stanton again, which I don't think that would be in Stanton's best interest. And if he does, then we're looking at two outfield spots, especially with hopefully Brett Gardner retiring. So, you know, you're looking at two outfield spots for the taking at worst and at best one outfield spot for the taking and I say at best because I feel like that's where the Yankees are at their best state when you got Stanton and Judge both playing the outfield and then so let's say that makes sense to them and they have Stanton play DH because again we we have so many farm guys that they can look to to play left field let's say they make Stanton DH do you think that makes sense long-term to to play a kid that, you know, who knows if he's going to be able to stick around, but you call him up in August, see what happens. I don't think Florial could work out in, in left field. He's primarily a center fielder, I feel yeah. like. It, yeah. that's, that's where he thrives. That's what his body type is, and that's where he makes the most sense. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, just see, the little bit that I've seen him, or actually the lot of it that I've seen him in Tampa, because unfortunately, with all those injuries, I think he spent something like three years in Tampa, just kind of on and off the IL. I got one for you, John. What if, in your scenario, the Yankees do DH Stanton? Let's just say maybe not the entire time, but maybe they do give him days at DH. Or, like I said, worst case scenario, they do decide to go backwards and DH him again. And... He, to answer your hypothetical about what would they do with left field. How about a kid like Brandon Lockridge? I haven't seen him enough um, in person. That's something that hopefully if 
finances allow, I get to do later on this, this season. Um, because with the way that the, the restructuring worked, he skipped over Tampa. So he went Charleston, Hudson Valley, Somerset. I never got to see him. I've heard really, really good things. Um, my colleagues at Pinstripe Prospects, both Matt Cardos and Eli Fishman, both speak very highly of him. Um, I mean, he, he was the best performing uh, as far as offense goes. Um, he had a 298 batting average and 847 OPS. Um, and he had the lowest strikeout percentage in Somerset, where at 28% of his at-bats were strikeouts. So, I mean, that's pretty good. You figure the, the average in minor league baseball is around 30, 32, somewhere around there. Um, that's a pretty good strikeout rate. Yeah, yeah, no, especially for a young kid. And and if, like you say, if Everson Pereira is ultimately trade bait, you know, maybe Lockridge is the guy that gets the, the call if they do decide to go young at left field should Stanton DH, which – Again, I'm hoping isn't the case. Yeah, and I don't even, I honestly don't think they would trade Pereira um, unless it were some kind of blockbuster deal and it would be like, you know, we want Volpe. No, we'll give you Peraza and uh, Pereira. Like that, maybe that that's kind of the, the trade that they do. I don't think if they're going to add Pereira to the 40 man, I don't think it's going to be, uh, I, I think they're hanging on to him. You don't think that maybe he might be, quote like unquote the centerpiece to a Matt Olson deal like as far as like the top prospect included in it because you know how Cashman likes to I don't want to say prospect tug but he does in a sense prospect tug and in another sense he does tend to overvalue and sometimes stick with prospects too long at times i.e. what happened back then with um Caprilian and all these guys, which it worked out, you know, in our favor where, you know, they were traded for Sonny Gray and they didn't wind up becoming much with, with Oakland. And, you know, that trade was pretty much a wash, but, you know, if you had traded Caprilian earlier, maybe you could have gotten more, you know, and yes, I know, people listening to this podcast were like, well, how much more did you want? Sonny Gray was, you know, highly touted at that time and you'd be right. But what I'm saying is there's been plenty of instances where cash doesn't trade prospects at their highest value. And sometimes it works out, you know, but sometimes it doesn't. So I, I don't know, man. Like I, I, I could see a scenario where Oakland, you know, we go full circle with Oakland, you know, they asked for an Oswald Peraza. Cashman says no. Like you said, your, your exact scenario you just brought up. Yeah. Then they go, well, okay, then give us Volpe. Cashman says, hell no. No. That's a hell no. No, that's a hell no. <laughs> then, then he's like, how about I give you guys an Everson Pereira? I throw you guys an infielder to make up for the loss of, you know, Olsen. Hell, maybe they throw in a Luke Voigt as a guy that could play first base for them in the immediate, yep. you know, uh, a replacement, so to speak. 
you don't see something like that happening where it's Voight and then the top prospect coming back to them is Pereira with given the log jam, like you said, that we have. I mean, it seems like it's an area of strength. I'm not going to totally say no, because if you look at like the Rizzo deal, as an example, they get rid of a top prospect in Kevin Alcantara. And they also got rid of a top pitching prospect, Alexander Vizcaino. And the Cubs, in my opinion, if they don't bring Rizzo back, the Cubs made out better in that deal than the Yankees did. Uh, because with what I saw, I mean, I didn't see Alcantara that much. But what I saw, I really, really like. He's really fast, really tall, you know, super long legs, perfect in the outfield. But if I'm being realistic, there was no place for him in the Yankees. So, yeah, it, it kind of sucked when I saw that he was traded. Um, but if I'm being realistic, there's no place for him. I mean, I don't know how far down the line, you know, we have to look for for him to make the majors. But he has a better shot with the Cubs than he does with the Yankees. And the same thing with Alexander Vizcaino. He, he has a better shot making the Cubs major league roster than he really would with the Yankees because, again, the Yankees have really good pitching. And then as another scenario, you have – the Pirates with Jamison Tyon. Um, I believe that was a trade, if I remember correctly. And that was Miguel Yahuri and uh, Ronsi Contreras and um, Kenan. Um, I'm having a brain fart. Kenan Smith and Jigba, I think, was the other piece. Didn't like we that. also trade that? That uh, Sorry to interrupt you. Didn't we also trade that young single A infielder, Kim? that everybody was high on um you know who was I'm talking about? that was a different trade i think he didn't he go that I, I don't think he went that early i don't i'll have to look but i don't think he went that early because i know we traded him to pittsburgh and i'm maybe you might be right maybe it wasn't in the tie-on deal but i'm i'm thinking it might have been um i i guess while you looked that up um i wanted to ask you you know with Pereira. Also, the other thing that makes me think that maybe he would be a guy <clears throat> that would be the most logical to trade is because you're looking at a kid who's 20. You know, MLB.com says his ETA isn't until 2023. And Lockridge, like we talked about, according to MLB.com, is a kid that could literally make it up this season. MLB.com says his ETA is now 2022. And like you said, he, your, your colleagues say he, he tears it up down there. So why not, why not, you know, give the kid a chance and trade Pereira. I, I feel like. Uh, Michael Escado was the guy that I left out. I know I left out some kind of shortstop. And um, if I remember correctly, I did see Michael Escado play for Bradenton this past year. Um, and when that trade happened, everybody was like, you're selling the farm. And, you know, I get that. Uh, so I don't, I mean, I don't want to say, yeah, this is going to happen. That's going to happen, whatever. But, um, I don't, I don't know what they're going to do with all these players. I mean, realistically, if, if we're being realistic, probably 75% of these guys aren't going to make Scranton, you know, because that's just the way things work with, with the minors. It's, you got to make tough decisions. It's a business. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, so, I mean, I guess we'll, we'll see it's yet to be determined, but 
I mean, I'll tell you, John, it's, it's, a, it's a good problem to have. O sea, tenemos un... Tenemos bastante... Bastante outfielders por allá. Bastante... Jardineros que pueden ayudar y pueden ayudarnos en las menores ligas y en las grandes ligas. Así que es un muy buen problema tener. Yep. It's a good problem to have for my non-Spanish speakers. <laughs> yeah. All right. So next thing that we're going to talk about is which minor leaguers we're looking forward to seeing in 2022. Um, so I'll start off with that one um, just because I'm more minor league focused. Uh, Enrique is more. He's the the Bronx uh, Bombers junkie as opposed to uh, me being down here in Tampa and get to see the kids. Someone I'm really excited to see is uh, Randy Vasquez. He killed it in Tampa. Um, I think it was June, this past June, he had a 0.5 ERA. Um, and I saw in, I think it was August when I was looking at stats earlier, he had a 0.36 ERA in Hudson Valley. So I'm looking to see what he does in Somerset and hopefully Scranton. Who knows? Maybe he makes the Bronx. Uh, so we got to see what happens with him. Um, and someone else that I think is not getting the attention that I think he should is Jesus Bastidas. Um, so a lot of people may not know who he is. Um, he started off in Tampa and he, instead of taking the traditional route, low A, high A, double A, he skipped high A and he went straight to uh, Somerset. Um, so he's officially listed as a second baseman. I've seen him play second and or second short and third every once in a while. So he has the utility, but he is primarily a second baseman. And then between Somerset and Tampa combined, 177 at-bats, uh, drove in 34 RBIs on uh, 44 hits. So that's a good, you know, good productivity there. Um, struck out 53 times. He had a 249 batting average, uh, 366 uh, on-base percentage, 435 slugging, 801 OPS. Um, and then he struck out, like I said before, averages 30% and he struck out 30% of the time that he was at bat. So, you know, he's another one that has the chance to move up. But like we were talking about before, if you're going to have DJ at second, then he's really got no place to go. So there's another log jam that we have as far as the infield goes. Volpe Peraza, let's say the rumors are true and, and they go after story or Correa or, you know, whatever those, the, the Yankees Twitter rumors are um, what's going to happen with a guy like Bastidas. Is he going to be trade bait? And don't forget if they do indeed land uh Correa or story more than likely, I mean, I could be wrong, but the more than likely scenario is that DJ moves to third. So that becomes an even bigger log jam. Cause now you've got DJ at third, you're not moving him anywhere um maybe he could fill in at first you know every so often when you know you give the first baseman whoever that may be a day off you're gonna have obviously either Correa or Story at short and you're gonna have Glaber at second because that's literally the only place you could play him unless you give him days at DH we all know that both us as fans and Boone and the coaching staff do not want to see Glaber at shortstop anymore. That is done. Done, like, say sayonara to it, you know what I'm saying? So you never know for a guy like that, like you said, the 
the high the higher up the hierarchy might be you know pushing him down you know what i'm saying like there might be no space for him to move up unfortunately i think in that case it would make sense to move dj to first because there's not a lot of first base prospects right now um in the minors so for first base i mean there's chad bell at somerset um anthony garcia uh tyler hardman was a 2021 draftee um and then Alex Guerrero, who's a, a catcher slash first baseman. Um, and that's that's kind of it. Um, wow. Eric Wagaman, I don't think is realistic to get that far. It's I mean, it's, it's not as much of a logjam as on the left side of the field. Well, but the, but you know what the problem is there, don't you, John? The problem is just like we don't know what's going to happen with Correa's story. You don't know. What's going to happen at first base? That's as much of a question as the shortstop situation. Yeah. You got Rizzo still out there who already made it clear he wants to come back. You got that possible trade scenario for Matt Olson that every Yankee fan and their mother wants to happen. <laughs> Them, their mother, and their abuela, and their abuelo, everybody. You know what I'm saying? Everybody wants Matt Olson. He's the flavor of the week. And you know, if not him, maybe there's that tenth of a million chance that they pursue uh, Freddie Freeman, even though I highly doubt it, especially the happening. way. Yeah. 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 Especially with the way how is with his money, like that's going to cost a fortune and how doesn't like spending a fortune. So, you know, but you literally got three scenarios there. <laughs> that are yet to be determined because you don't know anything yet because this lockout is still very much around and very much in doubt of, you know, when it's going to end, so to speak. So, you know, it's difficult to talk about first base and moving DJ there because, yeah, we could easily say, yeah, let's move DJ there and let's put somebody at third. but then. If you if any of those three scenarios happen and you bring in a Matt Olson, a Freddie Freeman, or you bring back Rizzo, or hell, if you bring back Luke Voigt, which I know he's not the most solid defensively at first, but that's four, four possible first basemen there that you are not gonna sit down. So if you move DJ to first, where are you gonna play those guys? You know that's, and that's that's part of the problem that I think. Um, they have to make the decisions of who's going to play what, where kind of thing, you know, what, where, when, I guess is, is the better way to rephrase that. Um, figuring out who they're going to promote, who they're going to give a shot because you have, why would you want to sit Rizzo? Like you said, why would you want to sit Rizzo or DJ or let make you, or um, that is DJ. Um why would you want to sit any of those guys? I'm a minor league guy. I don't pay attention to the Yankees. Um, don't worry, John. That's why I'm here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Why? I mean, why would you sit, especially Voight? I mean, I don't watch a lot of Yankee games, but I know he's got, especially last year, he had dad strength. You know, after after his wife had the baby, you know, he, they all of a sudden get a dad strength. That's why I'm excited for Aaron Hicks. Congratulations to them. They're going to have a baby. So hopefully he can get some dad strength if he stays healthy. Let's hope. Let's hope. Uh Welcome to the club, Aaron. 
and and obviously uh luke you know didn't get to say it to him earlier because this podcast didn't exist so welcome to the club luke and uh yeah hopefully both of them get some dad strength and you know more so for hicks not so much the strength but the durability that's what i care about yeah i don't need john i don't need strength from aaron hicks aaron hicks can mash you know he's shown he can mash he's shown it he showed it even back in his Minnesota days. I'm not worried about Aaron Hicks's hitting or his fielding. Like I talked about on the last episode, what I need from him is to stay healthy. That's it. That's it. You know? And if he doesn't, like we just talked about, we got plenty of guys down in the farm that can come up and, you know, fill the void. And by the way, another scenario that I forgot to throw out there, even though it's not, the most ideal scenario, but maybe they don't even call up a center fielder if, if Hicks gets hurt. Maybe, at, and, and like I said, it's not ideal, but maybe their prospect that's showing out and doing the most damage down in the minors at that point is a corner outfielder. You know, maybe it is an Elijah Dunham or a Brandon Lockridge, a guy like that. So what do you do at that point? You call one of them up because you obviously got to ride the hot hand. And at that point, you could always play Aaron Judge in center field. He's shown that he could do it. He did it last season. That's what I was going to say. It's not ideal. It's not what I would do, you know, but if need be, he's shown he could do it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say you stick Dunham in left or right or whatever because he's a corner guy, and then you stick Judge in center because he's got the he's got a little bit of speed, but Dunham's got speed too, so I can see him working out in, in center too. Um, I don't exactly remember what the stat was, but I think it was six stolen bases in his first six games or something like that this year, this past year, so he's got the speed. Hey, you never know. You never know. Um so john uh so moving forward man let me ask you uh what's your thoughts on the current state of the lockout we'll we'll both give our thoughts but you know let me let you start out and say what you think about it as far as i'm concerned i don't have a lockout to worry about because minor league baseball is going to happen um the yankees are doing their minor league camp they started a, a little mini camp today both in Tampa and in Boca Chica, uh, Republica Dominicana. So, um, you know, as far as that goes, I'm going to have baseball. But as far as the major league goes, I'm going to try to keep this as PG as I can. But um, I think they need to get their their stuff together and, you know, insert your expletives there. But they need to get their stuff together, figure this stuff out. And we got to get to playing baseball because – you know, at the end of the day, that's that's really what these kids are here for. They're here to play baseball. Um, they're here to move up. They're not here to just make fifteen thousand dollars a year or whatever it is that they make. Um, just just for playing minor league baseball, they're here to make their millions. And they're and these kids are grinding. And I know that the fans in, the, in New York need to see their baseball too. You know, we we I entirely endorse going to support Somerset and Hudson Valley and um, Scranton. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's all about 
seeing the, the the Yankees play in the Bronx, and I totally get that. That's a that's an environment that you can't really duplicate in minor league. Agreed, agreed. Um, well, I I gotta say for the minor league junkies like yourself, it's it's awesome, and to a certain extent, I'm with you because. Let me tell you, if there's no season, I'll watch the minors. I don't care. I'll tune into MLB Network and, you know, watch, especially if, you know, I'm able to watch um, any of the Yankees affiliates, obviously, because that's where my heart is. Um, But as far as the major leagues is concerned, I'm 100% with you, John. Um, This is ridiculous. These guys need to get it together. We're ready going into if i'm not mistaken the second week yep today's february 7th come tomorrow it's the second week of february if you don't get this thing situated by march highly doubtful you're going to start the season on time hell if you got it situated today today which let's be real obviously it's not going to happen because I haven't even heard when's the next time both sides are going to meet, but let's just say they were meeting today and by some miracle, they resolve this issue today. You're still going to have to have a grace period to get things rocking and rolling. And, you know, you're not going to be able to start spring training on time as it is like you've already passed that cutoff point, even resolving it today, you're not starting spring training on time so that's detrimental to the players as it is because they need their spring training they need you know not so much you know skill wise because you know when you get to that level of baseball it's like riding a bike the skill never goes away but ramping up their bodies physically you know warming up their bodies pitchers you know the old adage pitchers and catchers report you know That's the day that every Yankee and baseball fan looks forward to every year when pitchers and catchers report. Nobody needs that time more than pitchers because they need to get their arms ready. Because if not, you know, I'm no therapist or or doctor, but you play 162 or whatever game season without properly warming up your arm and and getting your arm ready you're gonna throw your arm out yeah so yeah yeah you know so go ahead john sorry um and i was gonna say that the yankees are hosting a 5k at san Bernard field on the 19th when pitchers and catchers are supposed to report i think that's when they're supposed to report mm-hmm. um i forget if it's the 12th or the 19th but either way you know we went into this when we bought my dad and i bought the the tickets in I think it was October or November or whatever it was before this whole lockout thing happened and we were we were excited you know we get to see the guys spring training you know we'll do the 5k and then we'll do um, a little bit of time at the field and you watch the guys throw around uh, balls and you know take some warm-up throws and that kind of thing and now it's going to be all right get your stuff and go you know when you're all done because there's really no point sticking around if there's not going to be anybody there you know, Absolutely. if we're lucky, maybe we can go to the Himes complex. I don't think that's going to be open just yet, though. Um, from what I understand, that won't open until March. So I don't know. Maybe I'll go to the airport and look at planes. I don't know. 
<laughs> hey, more exciting than doing nothing, right? Because apparently that's what we got, nothing. But yeah. but yeah, so I mean, so you're already doing a detriment and a disservice to pitchers because let's just say they do resolve this by by March, by the beginning of March. Yeah, the seasons can start on time, if anything, a little late. But pitchers are going to have to, like, basically get their their training and, and their ramping up exercises to get their arms ready for the season. They're going to have to do it at a fast pace. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're going to have to rush the process. And that's not good, you know? And they're, I mean, they're throwing in cages and stuff and, you know, they'll find a high school or, you know, some kind of ball field, but it's not the same as, as having even live batting practice, you know, they can, they can do a simulated game, I guess you can call it, you know, throw Mm -hmm. 60 pitches, but it's not the same as facing hitters because that, that messes with your timing. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then obviously the old adage of, you know, just from an athletic perspective, and, and an athletic standpoint, just getting your body ready, no matter what position you play, whether you're a pitcher, catcher, whatever, you know, I, I know these guys are working out and they're working out in their, in their homes and lifting weights and all that, but it's not the same than actually getting out there. Like you said, mm-hmm. you know, like you, you just mentioned right now. So, you know, let's not forget. And, and I'm sure you're with me on this, John, you know, I get it. This is millionaires and billionaires fighting They're It's ridiculous when you, you know, it's ridiculous to us. Like, let, let me rephrase myself. It's ridiculous to guys like me and you that make, you know, a modest living seeing millionaires and billionaires argue about money. I get it. I get it. But at the same time, I feel like the billionaires are the ones that are in the wrong here because it, it's just typical business. They're your employees. You know what I'm saying? They, you don't make money without them. You know, at the end of the day, you are souring your relationship with these guys who make you the money, who bring butts to the seats, who get fans to buy the merch, you know, I can't tell you how many Yankee jerseys I own. I don't buy them for the owners. I buy them for my favorite players with my favorite players numbers on the back. No names on the back, by the way, let's be clear. No, no, that's no, that's sacrilege. No. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they're the stars. They're the ones that put their bodies on the line and they're, you know, and, and the ones that invest their time and energy for 160 whatever odd games a year, you know, you need to take care of your investment if you're an owner and, you know, be a little more, a little less stingy and a little more understanding of your players because without them, yeah, I'm sure all these guys have other investments and other things that make them money. But if you want to own a team, you can't do it without your players unless you want, you know, you want to re a live reenactment of the movie, the, the replacements, you know, 
unless a, a real life situation like that happens, John, these guys aren't making money without their players. So, well, and, and when I used to work in retail, one of the, the key things that we used to keep in mind is your business doesn't exist without the customers keeping the lights on for you because your lost your customers and the pro- and the products that you showcase keep the lights on. Without your customers, your business doesn't exist. And at the end of the day, the Yankees, the Mets, the Red Sox, the A's, the Rays, whoever, they don't exist without the fans supporting them and, and spending $18 on a chicken bucket at Yankee Stadium. You know, and yep. and you know, I, I understand the fans' argument of you know, well, everything's so expensive. Okay, but if you want to support the product, you need to pay for that. And they need to give us something to pay for. And I think that's what a lot of the frustration is with the fans is, you know, give us something we want to pay for. We want to give you our money. It's it's that, but but like I said, I feel it's more along the lines of nine out of nine out of ten average fans, like of all the baseball fans in the world, nine out of 10 of them cannot relate to what either side is going through because nine out of 10 baseball fans don't make the money these guys are going through. So for us, we look at it like, come on guys, really? But like I said, we also take the side of, at least most of us, at least I know most people I know, take the sides of the players because, you know, we work for a boss just like they do. And we can relate to having a boss that wants to give us the shaft and, you know, basically have their cake and eat it too. You know, we've all had a boss like that. And that's what seems to happen between these players and owners. You know, these owners don't want to cave. They, they want a situation where they make the most money, they make the most profit. And, you know, who cares about the players? Who cares what the players want? Who cares, you know, about the players' uh, slice of the pie, so to speak? They only care about themselves. And it's it's ridiculous. It really is. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll ask you, <clears throat> for instance, I'll ask you the what's your thoughts on on the most recent development with set owners i i like this little segue of set owners trying to bring in a mediator to help quote unquote help the situation between the owners and players like really a mediator come on man just work it out between each other what do you need a mediator for they need a mediator because they just started decide to talk about it this week instead of working on something in December. They were sitting on their butts, not doing anything for two months. And then all of a sudden they realized they got um, their hands to the fire, whatever the saying is, I'm bad with sayings, but that, you know, they got their, they got the, the candlelit under them. Hey, you know, we need to get this figured out because we're going to figure we're losing. We're going to figure to lose money before too long. If we don't get the season started on time. And then you look at like what Stu Sternberg said in the press conference with the Rays not doing the split city thing with Montreal. Well, we want to see, we want to see what kind of fan support we get when the season gets started up. Okay. But you got to have a season first, you know, the fans don't support the race to begin with putting butts in seats, especially because of the ownership. 
And I think that's the thing that seems to be a, a theme across baseball is fans overall don't like ownership because Yankee fans are pretty sour on how granted he's not his father. And I think that's part of the, that's part of the mentality is he's his father's son and he isn't, you know, and, and fans partly need to understand that he's not his father. He's not going to act like his father or spend like his father or, you know, fire Billy Martin 13 times in a season kind of thing. You know, he's, he's not like that, but. And then you got the, the owner in Colorado saying that it, I don't, I'm not making money to own a team and then, or something along those lines, I forget exactly what the line was, but um, he made such disparaging comments that the owners ended up booting him from the conversations that they were having at the, at the discussion table, which is, you know, good on them because he was making them look bad worse than they already look bad. I, I, it's just so frustrating, you know, being a Yankee fan and seeing everything that they have going on, they're not doing anything. And then the players are like, well, to, if you want to actually negotiate, you have to negotiate with the players instead of just saying, Hey, we're going to negotiate. We're going to get a mediator. And then I was reading an article today saying that the department of labor, um, secretary or whatever the title is wants to get involved because he realizes that this is not getting anywhere. So he wants to act as a mediator. I don't know. I haven't read anything since on, on what that's going to be like, but um, the article that I said the last time this happened was the 94, 95 strike that the department of labor got involved and apparently they resolved it. Well, I mean, (laughs) hopefully if that's what it takes to resolve it, that's what it takes to resolve it. My whole thing with the mediator thing, it just soured for me because it's like, why would you bring in a mediator now? You know, if if you were going to do that, do it from the beginning, you know, have one set from the beginning that both sides agree on and not one that the owners, because that's what this was. And that's why it left a bad taste in my mouth, because this was basically the owner's trying to say, hey, we're going to bring in a mediator. And when you have a situation where there's so much distrust between both sides already, did you really expect the players to just blindly accept the mediator the owners were going to bring in? In the players' minds, they're thinking, yeah, bro, sure, you're bringing a mediator. Sure, you're just bringing in a guy that's going to you know, be working for you. He's going to act like a mediator, but he's going to be doing his little side hustles and trying to get things done for you. We don't trust you. And I don't blame the players for feeling that way. And, you know, in a sense, I don't blame the owners for not trusting the players either because the relationship is just so bad and so tainted at this point between both sides that you really can't blame any side for not trusting each other. But then, you know, going back to the whole mediator thing and the owners bringing one uh, again, why, like, why should the play, why should the players, that's why I'm glad not for nothing, but I'm glad the the players rejected the owner's um, proposal to bring in a mediator because it's the owner's mediator they're bringing in. You know, if you're going to agree to a mediator, it should be a mediator that both sides agree on. One solitary man or woman that both sides say, you know what, we like this person. Let's bring them in. You know, so I just feel like, you know, and, and in closing, I don't know if you 
got any more to say about this, John, but I feel like both sides are going about this all wrong. More so the owners, you know, like I said before, but, you know, the players aren't absolved from any of this either. They're not absolved from any guilt. They're not, tú sabes, ellos no son el niño lindo de la película que no ha hecho nada. Let's be real. Like, like they, they have fought in this too. You know, because they, like you said, they could have been more proactive. They could have done more to, you know, not allow this to get to where it is today. But, you know, I feel like both sides are going about this all wrong. The way they're handling it is completely wrong. And like you said, I just feel like they need to get their act together and start going about things a different way because clearly what they're doing is not working. No, it isn't. So we'll um, we'll get into the fan questions. Uh, Twitter account Generally Manage asks, what are reasonable expectations for Roderick? Aria says, first taste of pro ball. Um, so I would say if he's... Now, so my, my hesitation is if he's going to be as highly touted as a Jason Dominguez. No, I don't think he is, but let's say, you know, let's say that we need to, to tamp our expectations down because Jason didn't perform the 500 batting average and the 1500 OPS and all those kind of out, otherworldly numbers, so to speak. Um, and he was just a, a 250 header kind of thing. Um, I think the expectations are maybe we should expect him to be a 250 hitter because you look at Vargas, he's another highly uh, scouted, highly rated uh, shortstop, Alexander Vargas, un cubano como nosotros, um, from Matanzas, yo creo. He, um, he hit 273 last year. Nobody's talking about him. 273 with a 755 OPS. He only struck out in 27% of his at-bats, which is below the, the average. Um, Vargas is super quick. Maybe that's what we expect out of uh, Roderick Arias. You know, I don't, I haven't really read too much on him because the scouting in um, international uh, territories like the Dominican, Venezuela, Mexico, all that kind of thing, isn't as robust as what you would find with, say, a draftee that we're going to get in the States. Because they went to college, they went to high school, you know, they've been scouted since they were a teenager, like Arias. Um, so I would say a reasonable expectation for Arias is 250, uh, 750 OPS, you know, that kind of thing. On base a third of the time. Um, doesn't strike out a crazy amount. I would say if he were to be a highly respected, highly scouted type of a, a, a top draft pick for an international draft that's what i would say would be fair i don't think it's fair to to like i was saying before i don't think it's fair to rate him as a jason dominguez and expect him to hit 800 or 600 or whatever stupid batting average that you want him to hit you know that doesn't sound reasonable to me i i agree i agree um i'm not gonna put too much expectations on areas right away being that you know the kids raw and we just signed them I'm going to temper my expectations, but I am excited about what he can bring moving forward. I mean, can he put up the numbers like Dominguez did when he first came through? 
you know, nah. I mean, it's it's doubtful. It could happen, but it's doubtful. I mean, you got to remember that Dominguez, you know, and and I'm excited to talk about him. By the way, John, um, Dominguez was and is, you know, one of these uh, generational talents. You don't know if Arias is, you know, a generational talent like that yet. He has the hype, but does he come with the height that Dominguez had? No, 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 but I don't think anybody will ever come with the height that Dominguez had. So, I mean, if you put me on the spot and ask me, you know, to give, you know, a, a, uh, a reasonable expectation or, or a prediction for him, where, where's he going to start, John? Let me ask you, he's going to start in uh, the Dominican summer league, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, and looking at his uh, social media, his Instagram specifically, it looks like he's in the Dominican uh, camp right now because um, he, he posted that he was uh, in the, the Boca Chica uh, facility. Pero como tú dices, la verdad es que nadie sabe cómo se va a salir lo, lo prospecto. Y, y no, te estaba preguntando because si él va a empezar en la Dominicana, in, in the Dominican Summer League, I'm not Full disclosure, I don't know how long that season is. ¿Cuánto tiempo dura esa temporada, John? Desde julio hasta medio de septiembre, yo creo. From early July to the middle of September. So we're looking at what? Like we're looking at maybe 80 games, more or less? I'm I guessing. Think, I don't even think that much. Um, so as an example, I'll, I'll pull up some stats. So in the Dominican... Um, the average at-bats for, um, in the piece that I wrote for the outfielders, the average at-bats for about 180 at-bats. Um, so you would expect the top prospect would be getting 180, 190 at-bats in, okay. you know, in that time, which is, for me, I mean, you look at Dominguez, he got 206, and he started in the end of June. Okay. So having said that, uh, again, like like you said earlier, um more focused on the big club. Y tú eres el, el bárbaro, el, el profesional when it comes to the minors. Thank you for filling me in and, you know, teaching me a little bit, you know, educating me and, and our listeners. So with that many at-bats, I mean, we're talking about un chamaco que literally just signed. I could see him maybe hitting, what, like around 250? Maybe, tú sabes, you know, if if his power is really legit, quizás maybe around like anywhere from 12 to 16, maybe 20 homers, you know, some something along those lines. Like, is that is that reasonable for him? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know what his power is, um, you know, because, again, there's no there's really no scouting. There's no 20 to 80 scouting that I've seen on him. Um, but you look at like the average, because I have the stats in front of me, Dari Arias, 181 at bats, he hit eight home runs. And that's kind of a, above average for um, for what that is down there. I mean, the average was two home, 2% um, of his at bats. He got a home, they got a home run and he hit double that. You know, four home mm -hmm. runs was the average. Eh, yo lo digo porque, I mean, you're right. There's no, 
there's nothing like, you know, pro ball. Like, there's no pro ball scouting on him yet. Pero the hype, you know, if we're going off the hype machine, because that's all we can go on when it comes to Arias so far, because he hasn't played a game in pro ball yet. You know, that's that's the exciting part in all this. If we go based on hype, the hype says that this kid has above average, you know, power, that he, he doesn't have Dominguez power, but he has above average power, like he has pop, you know? So if, if he plays true to his hype, that's, I think that's an, a reasonable expectation. And like I said, if, look, as long as he goes in there, you know, does his thing, hits a nice, solid 240, 250 in his first year, I won't be mad no matter how many RBIs or homers or hits he gets, you know what I'm saying? As long as he's making solid contact and works on his defensive, you know, technique and and principles at short, because, you know, Let's face it, everybody's dubbing this kid as the shortstop of the future of the Yankees. Well, not for nothing, but if you're going to be dubbed the guy and the shortstop of the future, you you better have your your defense in order too, not just your batting. We don't need another Glaber Torres where you're a liability out there. No offense to Glaber, because I love Glaber, but no, no thank you. I don't want that again. Y también la cosa es que Domínguez tenía 206 abate y, y tenía cinco cuadrangulares. So Domínguez had 206 at-bats and he only had five home runs. You know, with mm. as, as highly touted as his power is supposed to be. And I don't doubt that it's there. I know that it's there. Just from the batting practice balls that I've seen. So if anybody's familiar with Steinbrenner Field and the way that the layout is, he hit one out of the stadium and about maybe three feet away from hitting a car on Dale Mabry highway. Um, Because what I've been told is all of the batting practice balls that I found in the back of the stadium and outside of the property were all Dominguez balls. Hmm. Um, So I don't doubt that he has the power, but again, we need to temper our expectations. Dominguez hit 252 last year. You know, he had a, a 353 on base percentage uh, 379 slugging and a 731 OPS. I think if Arias does that, I think that'll be good. Yeah, yeah. So, so you see, so if Dominguez did it last year, and you know, obviously last year was not his first year, if I'm not mistaken. The year before was his first year when when he was in the Dominican Summer League, wasn't it? No, D- Dominguez made his last debut. year was his first year. Yeah, Dominguez made his pro debut. The game that I saw him was the second pro game ever. Oh, that's right. Bueno, bueno, yo decía, like, but, but what I'm saying is, wasn't last year his first, like, full year in the pros, as in, like, low A, but the year before, that wasn't he in the Dominican also, or he didn't do the Dominican fall? No, they, oh. sent, him, they sent him straight to Tampa. They sent him straight to the Florida Complex League. Okay. So, and that was part of the, the hype was, this kid's not even playing in the Dominican. He's just going straight to the States. So, nice, and nice, I, yeah. I get the hype, you know, I totally get the, Hey, nos somos, estamos listo de, de Dominguez. You know, we're ready to see Jason Dominguez. 
he's going to be a monster. You know, he's going straight to the States. And then he hit 252. Like, Cahasso, what's this? Yeah. You know, why didn't he hit 400? So I, I get it. And that's why I say we need to temper the expectations. You know, if Arias hits 300, 350 next year, great. You know, that'll be even better than what I'm expecting. But I'm not going to be upset if he hits 200 to 250. No. You know, I'm not no. going to totally write him off yet. No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, at the end of the day, John, tenemos que recordarnos que estamos hablando de chamacos. We're talking about kids. These are kids. Like, you know, they're man children. They, they look, both of them look like man children, but age-wise, they're kids. Yeah. You know? Both of them could be my little brother. You know what I'm saying? Like, my, my very young little brother. So, I mean you can't expect too much from kids that young that are just starting their pro ball journey. You gotta, there's gotta be a learning curve. So I'm 100% with you. Um, I'm hoping for the best with this kid, but we, we shall see if, uh, if he can do it. And if not, I, I wouldn't be upset either. I'm, I'm tempering expectations. Like you said. Yep. Um, and then uh, Julian Giarty, a friend of the podcast, asks, what are you most looking forward to in regards to the Tarpons? Well, if I'm going to be 100% honest, the most the one thing I'm looking forward to is baseball. I miss baseball really bad. Um, but, I mean, aside from that, I'm really excited to see um, guys like Kyle Battle. Like He's one of the, the outfielders I'm really excited to see. He only got 62 at-bats in uh, Tampa, actually all together, I think. I think he only played like three or four games with Tampa plus the, um, the, uh, the playoffs, but in 62 games, he hit 290. Um, and just to give you an abbreviated stats, 290 and he had a 932 OPS. Um, and his strikeouts were the second lowest on the team behind Aldeni Sanchez, 21% of the, of his at-bats were strikeouts. So it's really, really good. Um, you know, plate discipline, um, you only had 14 walks in the 62 at bats. I don't have the plate appearances. I don't have that set in front of me, but I'm really excited to see him. Um, you know, there's, there's so much to look forward to this year with the Tarpons. I hope to see Alexander Vargas. He deserves to be our, our shortstop down here in, in Tampa. Um, Guano. <laughs> Guano. Yeah. We got Trey Sweeney. He should be moving up to Hudson Valley. So. And uh, El Avion de Tierra, como se llama, and, uh, Alexander Vargas, that's his nickname, El Avion de Tierra, the, uh, the land uh, plane, I guess. Um, it's, and he's, he's, that's his nickname because of his speed. So that'll give you an idea on, on how quick this kid is. Um, I'm excited to see him. I, I can't wait for him to get a full season in. It'll be his first full season. Um, now that the they don't push the season back a month. So technically it will be a full season. So who knows after spring training, we'll get a better idea of, you know, who else we're going to have with the Tarpons. And then I can, I can make a better judgment as far as that goes, but rain for Salinas is another one. You know, I really liked his stuff, but he was kind of middle of the pack in the complex league. Grant Richardson is another outfielder, but then that goes back to the conversation we had earlier you have so many other guys, Alexander, um, Evan Alexander. I don't know what has going to happen with him. Kyle battle. Juan de Leon is a free agent. So I don't expect him to get resigned. 
Jason Dominguez, Ryder Green, Odeni Sanchez, Madison Santos. Got a lot of guys in Tampa. And I don't know what's going to happen with them. You know, do they all, a lot of those guys go up to Hudson Valley, even though they didn't really get a, a lot of time in Tampa? You know, who's, who's to say? That's, you know, obviously that's beyond my pay grade. John, speaking of Hudson Valley, uh, we just got another question that, that came in from another friend of the podcast, Matthew Rosen. He wants to ask, how do you think the Hudson Valley Renegades are going to do this season? It's too early. Like I was saying, it's a little too early to tell because we don't know what the roster is going to look like. And it depends on who goes up to Somerset and who goes from Tampa to Hudson Valley, who stays, you know, there's, there's a lot of what ifs at, at, you know, this early in the, in the game. Um, Hudson Valley ended the season with a really, really good team. They're the team that got the Tarpons into the playoffs to begin with. Um, Cause the Tarpons had close to, or, or around a, a plus 300 run differential. I think it was like 270, 275 for the longest time, 295. Um, then all those guys got moved up to Hudson Valley. We got the kids from the complex league. And then it's not the same Tarpons that we knew and loved in June and July, you know, no, no disrespect to the complex league guys, but um they don't they weren't as polished because we had a lot of the 2019-2020 draftees that started on the tarpons in um this past may so too early to tell once we get through spring training and you know i'll I'll try to get to as many spring training games and practices and all that kind of thing as i can and then once i start hearing about you know the different rosters and i can i can start seeing who's how everybody's playing, then I'll have a better answer for that. So maybe we'll uh, revisit that in a couple of weeks. Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, well, John, if you have nothing else to add, um, I think that'll do it for this week, right? Um, we got one more question. Oh, oh, we got them coming in. I love this, man. We got, this we awesome. got one question. This is a, I got a question for you. Yo quiero saber que tiene la mejor uh, comida cubana. Tampa or Miami? I mean, now this is a question. I'll, I'll, I'll translate for my uh, English uh, listeners. Who has the better Cuban food and Cuban sandwich, Tampa or Miami? Now, this is a big debate between the two of us because I'm the Tampa guy and Enrique's the Miami guy. So, you know, that's like, that's like a, a pizza argument. Who's got better pizza in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut? I'm going to tell you 100%. Connecticut a beach is the is the way to go. I don't care who says what about New York pizza, whatever. But I gotta say, Cuban sandwich with salami on it is is not a Cuban sandwich. That's a that's como dice mi tío un barbarido. And true story, my my abuela was served a Tampa Cuban one day. She asked for the chef to come out, and she threw the sandwich at the chef. Eso es una, me voy a decir un, un, una palabra mala, pero es, eso, no, eso es una mierda. No, me, no me voy a comer esto. And she, she stormed out and she didn't pay for anything. And we just sat there, my mom and I, we just sat there and what just happened? Because this is totally unlike my grandmother. Es que, es que tú sabes que los cubanos, man, we take, we yeah. take our, uh, our, our, our things that are true to us seriously and our cuban food is one of those things we we take it very seriously uh 
actually come like a couple of days ago, I, I took my kid to try his very first Cuban sandwich um, in Calle Ocho down here in Miami and he loved it. So, I mean, I've never, to answer your question, I've never had Cuban food up in Tampa. Um, I've visited Tampa frequently, but like any diehard Yankee fan, the only reason I've, I go up there is for spring training. It's, it's a yearly tradition for me and my kid, which unfortunately seems like it's not going to happen this year because of what we mentioned earlier about spring training, most likely either not starting on time or not happening at all. So um, having said that, you know, when we go there, you know, we don't think about getting anything Cuban. We go up there to see the Yankees. And when we're done seeing the Yankees, I get into dad mode and I let my son tell me, hey, dad, I want this, I want that, which ultimately winds up being, tu sabes, la chucheria y todas las cosas que los niños le gustan, yeah. you know, I want, I want Mickey D's, I want, you know, pizza, I want this, I want that, tu sabes, all the unhealthy stuff. But since we're on vacation, I let them, you know, since yeah. it's only like a weekend thing normally, what's a, what's a weekend of letting him have a little fun? But now that you say this, I'm going to make sure, John, that the next time I'm in Tampa, I try Tampa Cuban food so I can give a better answer to this. But for the purposes of today's podcast and what you're asking me, lo único que te voy a decir es esto, mi hermano. Miami is literally Cuba number two. O sea, la cantidad de cubanos que viven aquí. En Jailia eh, también. Ah, <laughs> todavía. Yeah, yeah. So, tú sabes, we're, we've infiltrated this city. We're all over and we've infiltrated it, not just in the sense of living here, pero there's so many Cuban-run businesses down here. You know, whether it be Cuban-run restaurants cuban run cafeterias cuban run you know lavanderias or or stores whatever you know the cuban culture is major down here like i said calle ocho is a perfect example of that that entire strip is cuban owned there's nothing there that's not cuban so having said that and keeping that in mind that the culture down here is so major and that culture started with old school Cubans coming down here and, you know, starting that culture up down here, you know, old school Cubans, like, tu sabe, we're talking Cubans, John, que tienen la edad de tu abuelo or maybe older, you know? Y ellos llegaron aquí y ellos dijeron, no, así vamos a hacer la cosa, vamos a crear una cultura cubana aquí. So, long story short, to answer your question, I feel like it's Miami because of that. Because the culture down here is so authentic because it came from 
tú sabes, cubanos que llegaron aquí en los 80, en los 70, you know, maybe even before that, you know, y, y ellos ayudaron crear a Miami a lo que es. So, and obviously they brought that knowledge y esa sabiduría and, and, y esa cultura with them. And you taste that, John, like you taste that with every single colada that you have down here. I don't know if you're, if you love your, your colada or your cafecito, pero I do. And you can get it in any esquinita por acá, especially mm. if you're in Hialeah or downtown Miami or, or Calle Ocho, you can get yourself a good Cuban sandwich, una medianoche, tú sabes, un arroz con pollo, lo que sea down here. And it tastes like Cuba because it's legitimately Cuban owned. Again, I don't know if that's the same with Tampa, pero yo te digo, mi hermano, tú vienes para acá y tú vas a un restaurante como Versailles. Uh -huh. Tú vas a un restaurante como, como cualquiera en la, en, en la calle 8. O sea, you go, you go to the calle 8 Walk of Fame. Y hay uno ahí que, if I'm not mistaken, it's called Guantanamera. That one is, <laughs> yeah, that's the name. And it's awesome. You know, hasta ahí, hasta tienen unos bongos ahí adentro y todo. So it's, it is as Cuban as it's going to get. And the food reflects that. The food, the coffee, the culture, the music. Like you get wrapped up in our culture when you're down here, man. I highly recommend it to you and to any Cuban that wants to enjoy that culture. Bueno, yo, quiero, yo quiero decir una cosa que yo fui a, a Vicky Bakery una vez cuando yo estaba en Hialeah y yo tomé una colada y fue malísimo porque ellos usaban café la llave y no me gusta la café la llave. Um, so what I was saying was I went to Hialeah one time and I went to Vicky Bakery where if you're Cuban or if you're in the Miami area, you know what Vicky Bakery is. That is Cuban. That is the spot to go to. Um, that is the Cuban bakery to go to, in in my opinion. Um, that's where my that's where my tia used to go when when she was around, um, and she she told me go here, go get pan cubano, go get and um, ¿cómo se llama? Ahora no me acuerdo. Um, it's a sponge cake with the with the syrup in it. Panetón. No, otra cosa whatever so i i had a, a a colada which is a little coffee um and it it was awful it was bitter and i don't know if they just didn't make it right or if it was the cafe la llave i don't know what it was but the the place to go to is if you're in tampa and it's right around from san Bernard field it's not that far out of the way it's called florida bakery and then off to the off to the side um, in a different property is a different is a restaurant, a sit down restaurant called La Teresita. I think that's what it's called, La Teresita. And they sell the best Cuban food. So some people say Colombia restaurant is the best Cuban food. Um, and they've been they've been here since the I think 1900s, 1910s, something like that. You know, they're in Ybor City, which is they have chickens from Havana that have been born and bred in Havana, but they've been here for over 100 years. And they only live in Ybor City. They're the Ybor City chickens. And there's a statue of Jose Marti in um, in Ybor City. So there's a lot of there's a lot of Cuban stuff in Tampa too. Um, 
but if you want a Miami Cuban, Florida Bakery is the place to go. And you can get all your stuff there. A cappuccino, that's what I was thinking of. Oh, okay, okay. The um, I think that's what it's called. The little, they're like this big. Bueno, yeah, but yeah, I, I, I could have sworn I heard you say a cake. So I'm like, mm, it's like a, me. it's like a sponge cake. It's really, I, yeah. I don't know how to describe. And there's yeah. more, there's more syrup than cake. Because I say, yes. I, I say, como lo hace lo cubano. Ma, okay, ma, un flan. No. No hay flan. Bueno, no. then I don't know. I don't and know. and by the way, the other restaurant I was thinking of other than, than Versailles that you got to check out if you're down here, John, is La Carreta. Yep. I want to go there. That's on the bucket list. Yeah. Yeah. That place is... Both places get pretty packed. I would not suggest going there without calling first because <laughs> you're going to be waiting a while. But it's it's worth it if you go there you know um and the same thing with florida bakery is the florida bakery is you're waiting outside to get in because and this is at 11 12 o'clock in the afternoon when they're sold out of half the stuff y tiene que hablar español porque yo no habla yo no hablo inglés cuando se entra tiene que tiene que encontrar alguien que se pueda traducir o o no se puede comprar nada yeah yeah no imagínate mío y you know, so 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 para so basically, I guess we don't have an answer to which one's better. Entonces, porque you've yet to try out the restaurants that I mentioned, and I haven't tried out the ones you mentioned. So I guess, so I guess this is a question to put a little pin on, John, yeah. and come back to later after you try the spots that I told you. And I try the spots you told you told me, and then we can, you know, go back and revisit it. Pero, pero te digo, bro, que, like, there's a reason that even tourists that are not Cuban come down here to get a taste de nuestra cultura, de, de la cultura cubana, mijo. It, for my for my Twitter followers, I don't know if y'all saw it, but even my my ten year old son got wrapped up in it over this weekend. Él estaba por la calle ocho bailando, having a good time. So it's 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 infectious, guys. It's infectious. The the Cuban culture is very infectious. He it wraps up perfectly with with our podcast because you know you want to talk Cuban culture. Baseball is as Cuban as it gets. Like. Tú no puedes ir a Cuba y no hablar pelota. Like, you know, la pelota es cubana. Olvídate de eso. It might be America's pastime, pero we got a stake in it too, right, John? Like, we we love this sport. We, you know, los chamacos por allá lo jugaban con un palo if they had to. We, you know, look how many Cubans have come from there and, and become stars in the major leagues, you know? So... I feel like I feel like we got a good pod mixing mixing in both. What do you think? <laughs> bueno, la verdad es que mi abuela era vecino con Martín Dijigo. Uño, pues, eso es en mi sangre. Baseball es en mi sangre. So, um, for my English speakers, um, my my abuela and and my my family on my mom's side, who's Cuban, when she was growing up, she was neighbors with uh, baseball Hall of Famer Martín Dijigo in in Cruces. So. And that's the story that my my tia Bola was telling me is, oh yeah, I know this guy. What do you mean you know this guy? Oh yeah, he was my neighbor, just just like you know one of the rows kind of thing. Like uh, okay, yeah. And then he had a son, and then I think he was Martinito or something like that. I think was his name. 
Yeah, no, it's it's a small world. My family, um, not me in particular, but I got family members in Cuba that they used to live literally right next to the Guriels. Like they they lived right next to Yuli and all them. So sorry, it's a small world, man. He, you know, just gets smaller when you when you think about it, right? And going back to, I was just thinking, going back to talking about Florida Bakery, my grandmother actually met El Duque in Florida Bakery. And nice. he had a Yankee hat on. And okay, so I have El Duque's signature. I don't, I don't remember exactly where it is. I have it sort of away somewhere. But my grandmother met El Duque in um, Florida Bakery. So that's how you know that place is, that place is legit. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I was lucky enough to meet him one time in Tampa for spring training. Y le hablé en español y le dije, oye, tú me, viéndote en, en Yankee Pinstripes, yo se lo dije. I'm like, me dio tanto orgullo como un cubano, you know, to see una de mi gente poniéndose esta gorra. Like you, and he was like, gracias, brother, gracias. And he was like, so nice. So the Duke is good peoples. Very yeah. good peoples. Amen, Levan. Levan, Levan fue buena gente también. Solamente el Duque fue más personable and talked more, you know? Mm-hmm. But I think that's a good place to close it. You know, El Duque and, and Cuban guys, and, you know, that's that's a perfect place to close it. Um, so we'll say that's all for this week. We'll be back with more uh, baseball content, no matter what, in the weeks to come. Hopefully we get a, uh, a lockout re- resumption um, or baseball resumption in the weeks to come. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hot Esquina Pod, where we'll take more of your questions for upcoming episodes. And we thank you for listening. Gracias.